just realised that singing three loud songs is probably not the best way to prepare for talking, so if my voice goes, just sort of nod along. Um, Shall we just pray? Father God, please help me to speak in a way that enables you to speak through me this morning. Amen. Well, today's reading is the the seventh of of these revelation letters that we've been looking at. And my first impression was um, this letter, it's basically the same as the other six letters, isn't it? I think God maybe wants to make a point. Uh, and as Sandra said, it's a famous reading. Um, so can I say something that you haven't already heard at least six times or maybe a hundred times before? And I was thinking, if I was preaching on letter from America by the proclaimers rather than letter to the church in Laodicea, I'd have loads to say. I wouldn't run out of things to say. And that gave me an idea. Can I just try and deconstruct this Bible passage as if it was a pop record? Because there's lots of ways to listen to music. I mean, I, I, I tune into words first because I'm interested in rhymes, uh, unusual turns of phrase, um, just interesting ways that words are put together. I like images and ideas. And I tend to pick up on the tune second. Many people do it the other way around. They prefer melodies to words. And some people just wonder whether you can dance to it. Once I've got a song in my head, um, I tend to listen to it a bit more carefully. I like to concentrate on the separate instruments to hear what they're doing. I tend to follow the guitars first. Then I wonder about the bass guitar, what's that doing? And then maybe I try and listen to what the drummer's doing. And then maybe the keyboards. And see what else is in there. In Letter from America by the Proclaimers, I bet there's some bagpipes in there if you listen closely. And the first few times I hear a song, I never hear it the same way. Uh, because there is so much to hear. And you could go on, you could analyse the structure, how the verses and the choruses and the, and the bridge and the other sections all fit together. You could maybe admire the arrangement. How does the music build or empty out to sort of emphasise key points in the, in the lyrics? And music sounds different again, doesn't it? If you listen to it on headphones, you'll hear things in a slightly different way. There's so many layers to a piece of music. And someone with a musical ear, someone like Hovan, can probably discern things that I can't hear so clearly, like maybe what key it's in, whether it's a major or minor key, what chords are being used. A drummer, I expect, could probably tell you how fast it's going, how many beats per minute there are. There are countless ways you can listen to one piece of music. And every time you change the way you listen, you might hear something fresh. Now, why am I telling you this? You're not interested, are you, in Letter from America by the Proclaimers? because I'm supposed to be preaching on this letter to the church in Laodicea. Well, I wanted to try and find something fresh in this seventh letter, so I've tried reading it in different ways, as if it was a piece of music. We all know there are many ways that the Bible can be read and interpreted, and that's what makes it so rich and rewarding. But it's also what makes us nervous sometimes. How can one person read a passage of scripture and feel called to become an aid worker overseas And yet someone else can read the same passage and incite people to burn the Koran. We need to be careful, don't we, with the way we read the Bible. Now, our reading's on page 1236, um, and it should also now appear on the screen behind me, if you can put that up, Peter. And this is one way to look at this reading. On slide two is another way of looking at it. This, this, This word cloud has all the same words, but just sort of rearranged into a different shape. 
And on slide three, we've got another way. Again, rearranged in a slightly different order, but now in colour. Looking at it like this, though, didn't really help me at all. So let's go back to the normal text on the next slide, please. I read the letter through a few times to see if I could find anything in it, apart from the obvious. If you like, I tried to see past the lyrics and the melody and the instruments. And I think I spotted something. Now, this might sound quite strange to you. It might sound totally ridiculous. But, but you know what? I think there's some humour in this letter. I had to put on my headphones to find it, though, because it's buried quite deep. Now, I think Jesus was a great comedian. And that's a comment that could be misinterpreted and maybe could get me into all sorts of trouble. But when I say I think Jesus was a great comedian, I'm not really talking about him as an entertainer who, who told jokes. The American comic Bill Hicks once said, good comedy makes you laugh, but great comedy makes you think. And I agree with that. And when I say Jesus was a great comedian, what I mean is he used comedy as a device to make people think. He was very good at it. And I think he's doing it again in this letter. Now, maybe you're scratching your heads and thinking, well, where's Ian going with this? What's he going on about comedy for? This is a very serious letter, and there's nothing remotely funny about it. Well, I told you it's going to be a different perspective, so please bear with me. Because humour is a funny thing. One of the great ironies of life is that when you analyse something that's funny, all the funniness goes out of it. So don't expect too many laughs this morning. And what do I mean Jesus was a great comedian? What do I mean I think this letter is humorous? To me, when Jesus speaks in the Gospels, he seems to be right in people's faces a lot of the time. He often sounds provocative. I wonder how he didn't get punched some of the things he said. But I also wonder whether he came across as aggressive to the people that he was talking to. And I suspect Jesus' words were said more playfully than we realize on some occasions. Transcripts of his conversations don't really convey his tone of voice, his body language, his facial expression. So sometimes we can't tell if he was angry with people or maybe just joshing to make a point. Now, Jesus was a Jew. It's easy to forget his Jewishness. A key feature of the way many Jews communicate is through humor, through Jewish humor. Our ears might get in the way of what Jesus was saying sometimes because we don't naturally communicate in our culture the way Jesus would have done in his. How Jesus said what he said was important in terms of what he meant, I believe. And I think we lose something in translation sometimes if we don't understand his Jewish humor. Because rabbis taught their disciples using a combination of elaborate legal arguments and humorously absurd situations in order to tease out the meaning of religious law, comic arguments, if you like, to help people understand. And we see this in the way that Jesus was always asking his disciples questions. And he often used ridiculous analogies when talking to people like the Pharisees. For example, Jesus saying, you strain out a gnat and swallow a camel, is as comic and surreal as anything out of a Monty Python sketch. And humor is used as a leveling device in Jewish culture. There's a long tradition, I think, of uh, poking fun at prominent members of society and, and in the Jewish communities, um, in Jewish weddings, for example. Rabbis are made fun of. 
authority figures are made fun of. Rich people are made fun of. Does that sound a bit like Jesus? Because the humorist basically takes people to task for their failings, much like a prophet. And a prophet who uses humor well can connect and affect people's thinking very effectively. Because good comedy makes you laugh, but great comedy makes you think. And Jesus was a prophet. And also, I think, a bit of a joker sometimes in his communication techniques, which doesn't mean he wasn't being serious. In fact, it's the other way around. Jesus used humor because he was deadly serious. Now, some of us can probably remember the goons and Monty Python and the spitting image puppets. And they greatly influenced, I think, and changed the way that we thought about the establishment in this country. The power of comedy shouldn't be underestimated. And I think this letter to the church in Laodicea has the hallmarks of an old Jewish joke. It's certainly a barbed joke, though. Punchlines are called punchlines for a reason. The best ones can rock you. And when Jesus threw a punchline, I think those he was aiming it at would have really felt the impact of it. Some people take jokes too far, don't they? We have different ideas of what's amusing and what's inappropriate. What one person finds funny, another one might cringe at or be offended by. I'm taking my unorthodox approach to interpreting this passage much too far already for some of you, and I haven't really started yet. But please bear with me a bit longer. And we're familiar with how jokes are set up in our own culture. Let me demonstrate. If I say, knock, knock, you know that you're supposed to say, Noah. Noah way to open this door. Boom, boom. And those of you who remember music hall comedians will know that if I say, I say, I say, I say, why is church like a helicopter? Your response is, because people are scared that they'll get too close and get sucked into the rotors. Boom, boom. That's British humor. So how does Jewish humor work? Well, let me tell you a Jewish joke. Two women claim to be the mother of a baby. They're brought before a judge to determine which is the baby's real mother. But the judge can't distinguish between the two. So he says, as I can't decide which of you is the real mother of this baby, my decision is that we should um, cut the baby in half. Now think about that for a moment. It's comical, isn't it? It's absurd. Cut the baby in half. But it's making a serious point. And the Bible story continues with one of the women saying, no, don't harm the baby, let the other woman have it. And King Solomon then determined that only the real mother would have said that. So it's a very clever joke. If I can go completely off piece now, here's a contemporary Jewish take on the same theme. Two mothers both claim that a man is engaged to marry their daughter. They're brought before a judge to determine which daughter the man should marry. But the judge can't distinguish between their claims. So he says, I propose that we um, cut him in half. And one mother says, no, no, don't cut him in half. Let the other woman's daughter marry him. But then the other woman says, no, no, let's cut him in half. And the judge says, now that sounds like a real mother-in-law. <laughs> boom, boom. But anyway, back to our reading. As I said, there's probably, probably a comedy structure to the way that Jesus puts this letter together. And he sets up his punchline, which is his serious point. 
Now, the references used are specific, and the Laodicean people would have understood the Dicks very well. Laodicea was the wealthiest of the seven cities that Jesus wrote to in Revelation. It was known for its banking industry, for its wool manufacture, and for having a medical school. Now, the city always had a problem with its water supply. An aqueduct was built to bring water to the city from hot springs, which were about five miles away. But by the time the water reached the city, it wasn't hot anymore, nor was it refreshingly cool. When it came spitting out of the pipes to be collected, it was lukewarm. It was undrinkable. Now, I drink lots of water, and I like mine hot. Thank you, Patricia. Um, most people prefer to drink cold water. Fair enough. But everyone agrees that lukewarm water is pretty horrible. And Jesus tells the Laodiceans that their church is just like their water. It's lukewarm. Is he making a joke at their expense? A jibe, perhaps? Most people could see the funny side of building a very expensive but rather ineffective aqueduct. But Jesus has got a punchline. And it's at the end of line 16. Here's my paraphrase. Your lukewarm faith makes me sick. I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Just like those pipes which spit out your dodgy lukewarm water would make those who drink it sick. And the joke isn't funny anymore. Comedy often relies on opposites and contradictions. Let's look at verse 17. The Laodiceans would have seen themselves as prosperous, a class above the neighboring villages. They had money generated by their banking industry, the latest designer fashions to wear from their textile manufacturers. They even had a medical school that produced eye ointment. Now, how neat was that in a dusty land? So is Jesus taking the mickey out of them when he tells them they're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked, all the things that they think they aren't? Is that a parody? And then Jesus flips the whole thing upside down again in verse 18. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become truly rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can really see. Well, you might think Jesus is being sarcastic here. I think it's probably irony. Traditional Jewish sharp-edged humor with a point and a purpose. You can have the best eye drops in the world, but if you aren't looking in the right direction, you'll just look stupid and you won't see anything. Or if you like, your foolish pride. It's like a banana skin. It's going to trip you up and embarrass you. Every comedian knows the value of the banana skin joke. And you couldn't listen again to Jesus' sermons on CD. You wouldn't have been given a copy of his letter to take home after church. You had to burn things into your brain on the first take. And like any good rabbi, Jesus knew people would remember something wrapped up in the form of a joke, much better than they would remember a straight lecture. And being able to remember what he said made it much more likely that people would go away and think about what he said afterwards. Because good comedy makes you laugh but great comedy makes you think. Well, is this Revelation letter relevant to us? What would Jesus put in a letter if he was writing to our church in Broadfield on today, which I think is the 10th of the 10th of 2010? Well, comedians love catchphrases, don't they? 
if we remember nothing else they've ever said, the odds are we'll always remember a comedian's catchphrase. For instance, nice to see you, to see you. Nice. And Jesus had a few catchphrases. And here's one in verse 19. Repent. We often hear Jesus say repent. It's probably his trademark catchphrase. Though I think he nicked it off John the Baptist. So much of what Jesus said was getting people, or was aimed at getting people to repent. And I believe his message for us today is likely to be the same message that he had for his churches 2,000 years ago. His catchphrase is still valid. He would say to us now, repent, change, become more godly, grow. It's a catchphrase with an edge to it. Jesus wants us to remember it and to think about it and to take it seriously. Now you can read these seven revelation letters as Jesus telling the churches off. Or you can read them as letters of hope. It depends maybe on the tone of voice you think Jesus is using. No sin was ever found in Jesus' mouth. His Jewish humour technique, if that's what it is, may sound harsh, but it wasn't Jesus' intention to belittle or damage people. I think he was always aiming to provoke and stimulate and encourage people to remember, to think, to repent and grow, if you like. And this tension between being admonished and being encouraged was in all seven letters. Jesus had some hard words to say. But why would Jesus rebuke us? Well, he tells us that in verse 19. Because he loves us. Because he sees our potential. And he knows what we're capable of. Because he wants to encourage us. Because he has more for us. There must be more than this. His overall message is one of hope. Hope for the people in those ancient churches. Hope for his people in Christ the Lord. Hope for God's people everywhere. Some people like words, and some people like tunes. Some people like dancing. Some people even like drum solos. As I said, there are many ways to interpret the Bible. I could be stretching it well beyond what's in the text to argue that in this passage, Jesus is using comedy in any sense of the word. But his intention isn't to make us laugh, because he wants to make us think. Because he wants us to change and develop and grow in our faith, in our understanding, and in our relationship with him. Sin is ultimately, I think, a refusal to grow. And maybe our greatest sin is neglecting to grow when Jesus challenges us to do so. Now, if nothing else, I hope I've given you something to take away and think about something to argue about even. A good rabbi loves it when his disciples are arguing. When people are wrestling with the meaning of scripture, I think that's where we can grow. And here's my catchphrase, don't believe anything I say, test it for yourself, check it out. I want to leave you with a challenge. You don't often get homework in church, do you? But can you set aside some time to read these seven letters again? and reflect on what God might be saying to you personally about repentance. That's his catchphrase, repent. And you might be now be thinking, homework? Is that a joke? Is Ian having a laugh? Well, here's a punchline. This isn't a laughing matter. There is a lot more for us to think about. There's nothing we can do to make God love us more or less. 
There's nothing more we can do to earn our salvation. Jesus' death and resurrection has already accomplished that once and for all. But God still wants us to repent, to change, to develop and grow, to become more like Jesus, to care more about the things that God cares about, and to do more of the work that he has for us to do, to help him bring his kingdom in. So let's keep listening. Let's keep thinking. Let's keep encouraging each other. Let's try and grow together. And let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you love us. Help us to have the passion and the courage and the conviction to want to repent and to want to change. Help us to develop and grow more into the people you would have us be. Make us more and more like you, we pray. Thank you. Amen.